Welcome to Engineering Career Journeys, brought to you by Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. This is a podcast series where we interview prominent senior engineers from across Australia and delve deeper into their career journeys and how they got where they are today. We hope that this will inspire and assist up-and-coming engineers in planning their own careers. Now over to your host, David Armstrong, General Manager of Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. Hello and welcome to today's conversation with Richard Liley. Richard studied at the Australian Maritime College in Tasmania, graduating with an engineering degree in naval architecture. After working in Melbourne for five years in a consultancy firm and subsequently with Tenex Defence Systems as a naval architect providing support for the construction of the Anzac frigates, Richard joined Austal in Western Australia, where he's impressively held a variety of senior roles for the past 20 years. Richard's current role is head of production, where he has responsibility for 650 production workers across two shipyards located just outside of Perth. Austal is Australia's global shipbuilder, defence prime contractor and maritime technology partner of choice, designing, constructing and supporting revolutionary defence and commercial vessels for the world's leading operators. Thank you very much, Richard, for agreeing to join with us today. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing about your career journey. Thank you, David. Nice to be here. Richard, what originally interested you to become a naval architect? Well, there's a number of things. I grew up on a farm, as it turns out, a farm by the ocean, and I always had a real interest in engineering. My grandfather had worked in an engineering company, but I also had a real love for the ocean. And so when I started looking around at what sort of career path I might take, that combination of engineering and the ocean really interested me. And then as it turns out, and I didn't know this at the time when I was a sort of 14 or 15-year-old starting to decide what path I would take, but as it turns out, I had a strong line of seafarers on my father's side. Um, oh, really? were ship's pilots in, um, in Southampton and Portsmouth and also some of the first ship's pilots in Port Phillip Bay. So it turned out that I had a bit of the ocean in my blood and, uh, and, and maybe that swayed my decision as well. Fantastic to combine both passions. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And what was the biggest turning point which helped progress your career, Richard? I would probably say joining Austal was the biggest turning point for me. And the reason I say that, I mean, I'd worked in some very interesting organisations in Melbourne when I first graduated, including a quite a small organisation where I'd, I joke and say that I did everything from clean the bathroom to launch the vessels. But but the benefit of working in that very small consultancy firm was that I saw absolutely every aspect of the engineering journey, if you like. I did the calculations, I drew the drawings, I went out and did see. So those those experiences were great. But when I joined Austal, the great thing about Austal is the variety and the number of projects it worked on. So, you know, in my 20 years, I've probably been involved in, gee, more than 25 or 30 new build projects. And as a naval architect and an engineer, to have that amount of throughput or experience, you know, to go through the iterative design process and construction process so many times really builds your experience and knowledge and competency. So, you know, I joined Austral and we were building luxury yachts. You know, we built Greg Norman's yacht, Aussie Rules, as I first joined. And then we moved into patrol boats and then we had a run on passenger ferries and then we had a run on catamaran vehicle passenger ferries sort of in, in the 100 metre range and then we started designing trimaran vehicle passenger ferries so huge 127 metre 
TriMan ferries, which were groundbreaking, a, a new technology, which then shot-putted us into the opportunities that we were able to exploit with the US Navy and, and the littoral combat ship program that's been so such a, you know, it's really been our key program of our history, really. You know, so just this amazing variety of, of engineering challenges that, that I've been confronted with since embarking on my career at Oxford, and, and that's probably really been the, the turning point for me. Sure. sure. What, a, what a fantastic company to work for. It, it's brought you to many parts of the world. Yeah, indeed. I, I had a wonderful opportunity. I mean, 15 years ago, we were very fortunate enough to win into the preliminary design stage of the littoral combat ship program with the US Navy. We were partnered with an American company, General Dynamics, and we were 80 Australian designers in sleepy old Perth, tucked up in a secure <laughs> facility, naval architects, mechanical engineers, um, electrical engineers, and draftspeople just churning at this revolutionary design for the US Navy. And uh, it was a really, really exciting period. And, and I think one that many of us didn't really realise what we were doing at the time. You know, we, I think as a young engineer, you, you don't dwell too much on the challenges of what you're doing. You just muck in and, and get it done. And, you know, looking back on that, that was just such a wonderful opportunity. And, and once we had the design done and we were passing through some of our key design review gates with the, with the US Navy, I was very lucky enough to then move to the US and work in our shipyard in Mobile as we were transferring the design out of Australia and into the US and starting the construction phase of the vessel. So I went to the US and I think we had about five or six designers just doing production support mainly and it was my role to build a design office there. So over two years, I, we, we got up to about 75 designers or engineers and designers before I left office there. And I hired a US-based successor for the design manager role. And now we're 250 strong in terms of engineers and designers in the US. But yeah, just a, a wonderful journey introducing that, you know, working with probably, you know, one of the most sophisticated navies in the world. And just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So that was Mobile, Alabama? Correct, yep. And the way of working there, was that similar to what you'd already been doing in Melbourne and then in Perth? Well, we, we essentially were transferring the Austral intellectual property, if you like, into the yard in the US. I mean, we are very proud of the Austral culture that we have. We a real can-do culture that we have within the business. So we, it was important for us to transfer that culture into the shipyard in the US as well, you know, in the design office, in, in all of the departments of the, of the business over there, production, supply chain, project management, everything. So... There was probably 40-odd Australians in the yard when I was there, and that was a key part of our, you know, we all got a pep talk from our chairman before we headed off, and bringing the Austral culture to that organisation was key. Sounds challenging, but probably lots of fun as well. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Are there any resources that have really helped you along your journey? In terms of resources, probably the human resources that I've worked with have helped me most. I mean... Some of my colleagues that I've worked with, the collaboration, the things that they've taught me, I mean, that probably stands out as my journey as an engineer. You know, as I was beginning my career and learning how to apply my, you know, the engineering principles that I'd learned at university, that practical knowledge and guidance from my colleagues was, was really key. So I would say that was probably the standout you know, use of resources that I, that I really focused on and really helped me grow in terms of my capability. And have you had many mentors? 
Yeah, I was lucky that early on in my career at Austral, I had a wonderful mentor who was our manager. He was a great leader. He was very demanding, but respectfully demanding. You know, he had a high expectation of the quality of work that we would do and he was ruthless in terms of the way he would check your work and um, critique your work and but he did it in a way that helped you grow rather than you know impacted your morale and and I found that you know very very helpful and it really you know I felt that from my country upbringing I had a good work ethic and that that really helped me but in terms of my polish as an engineer and, and the quality of the work that I was doing as a mentor he really helped me hone those skills and drive the sort of outcomes that he was after and we could all be proud of, of producing so yeah I, I was very lucky to have a, a great mentor and, and now I'm very lucky that I get to mentor some of our younger engineers coming through the business which I really really enjoy you know I really enjoy those sessions and trying to help them progress using some of the lessons that I've learned through my career and I find that really really rewarding. Is that quite a formalized structured approach within within Austal? Yeah well it can be both I mean we do have a graduate program at Austal so I have a, a mentee that is signed mm-hmm. to me as part of that program but I, I also have a few other people in the organization who I've just offered to mentor because I, I found that it really helped with me mm-hmm. and so there's a couple of emerging leaders within the business that I that I mentor and, and give advice and you know they, the feedback they give me is that they mm-hmm. they get value from that and, and I enjoy it. It's two ways, isn't it? That's right. I mean, when it comes to the role that I'm in now and, and and managing such a large group of people, there's so much joy that you get from your job in seeing people grow and develop. Yes. You know, yeah. So that so that's very rewarding. So for young engineers who perhaps have just recently graduated and they're working maybe in much smaller organizations without a formalized mentor program, is it something that you would highly recommend for these young engineers to to find someone that they can really follow and and, and learn from? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And choosing the right mentor is really important, making sure that it's someone, you know, that you respect and can point you in the right direction. But but absolutely, and that may be a, a university lecturer that you'd known or even just someone else that, you know, is working professionally and is not necessarily in the same company and, and those sorts of things. I think it's really valuable and, and you can get a lot from it. Tremendous. Have you done many postgraduate studies, Richard? I haven't done a lot and it's maybe it's something that I probably regret a little bit. I mean, having said that, I'm still in my 40s and, and there's still time to do more I've done some project management postgraduate study, but I haven't done an MBA and I probably would, would like to do, do an MBA at some point. But I've found that the project management postgrad study work that I've done is, has really helped me. The tools that we use for project management within the business are closely aligned to you know, both the PMBOK method and the PRINCE2 method. So studying and you know, getting some qualification in those areas has been rewarding and, and enjoyable. Sure. And in as far as yourself, Richard, have you done much personal development along the way? We have a great leadership development program at Austal that we've been running in the production area now for about three years. And so, you know, it's really for our frontline management, our frontline leadership teams, our supervisors, our coordinators, our our managers. But I, I have really got a lot out of that. And I've really, really enjoyed that. And, that, and using some of the models and frameworks that we that we learn in our leadership development programs and then coaching some of our frontline leadership on the floor. And so I've found that I've really grown on that journey as well, which has been really rewarding. 
So it sounds like your organization has a, has a culture of continual improvement and, and, and always striving for excellence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny when you're in an organization such as Oslo, and I'm sure this is the same for other organizations, it's very easy to be critical about the things that, you know, where you think you can be better. So it's, it's really important to use a positive mindset to and focus on improvement and continual improvement. It's absolutely a very, very, you know, I have a, a person within our organisation that is focused purely on on continuous improvement within the production space. And, you know, we've seen some fantastic improvements that we've made over the last couple of years. You know, so it shows that the investment in that and the focus on that is um, vitally important. And it's, it's really important for staff morale as well, you know, unless you're moving forward constantly within the organisation, you know, people can become quite demotivated. And um, a great example of that, we've got a program at the moment where we're building 21 patrol boats for the Pacific Island nations on behalf of the Australian government. So um, the Australian government gift those to the Pacific Island nations. So that's a program that's now been running about three or four years. And you can imagine that having a production line running for that long, people may get a bit stale and start to look for the next big thing. But the continuous improvement mindset that we've had on that production line has been wonderful. And you, and you just see these constant little wins every day and this drive from, from the team to find that next little bit of benefit or you know, that next little bit of efficiency or improvement in quality or a method that makes it safer. And, so, and that's all driven by a focus on continuous improvement. Brilliant. I could imagine in your current role, you've got lots of challenges. You've got so many milestones, a diverse range of, of clients and, and, and ships that you're building. But if you look back through your career, what was a really tough challenge for you and how did you overcome it? Yeah, we, we have, we've had, <laughs> we're never short of a challenge at Austin <laughs> and, and that's probably one of, the, one of the reasons why we've you know, been able to be quite successful because we've always been willing to um to embrace challenges you know for instance in the last two and a half years in the production space we had to double our workforce we won the the international commercial ferry market has been very very strong for about the last five years and there was an opportunity for us to build a couple of trimaran vessels that were going to be sort of revolutionary within the their space and and therefore we just had to the business just came and said, you know, we need to we need to build these. These book vessels are so important for the market. We need to build them. We need to find a way of doing that. And, you know, that, that's probably been up there with one of the, the biggest challenges in the last couple of years in, sorry, in my career. And, and, you know, I guess I rise to challenges by bringing my team, you know, I rely on my team. Early in my career, I probably, you know, as you develop your skills and your leadership skills, Early in your career, you might just try and do that all yourself, you know, and, and a challenge rises and, and you don't, maybe you might not trust others to help you or, you or you just may not even have the wherewithal to go and ask for help. But in these situations now, I've got a wonderful team that works with me and, I, and, I, and we just lean on each other together yeah. and we come up with a, you know, a plan that's going to get us there and there may be some doubt about whether we can actually do it when we first come up with the plan, but we all pulled together and, and we were able to successfully deliver the two trimaran vessels this year, you know, and there's a wonderful sense of achievement that, that comes with that. But the way in which I've certainly in the last 10 years risen to the many challenges that we've faced is to, is to turn to my colleagues and, 
and do it together and do it as mm. a team. And that's been really key to our success. Sure. The sense of satisfaction when you complete a project must be must be tremendous and uh, lots of happy broken bottles of champagne, have there been? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, there's usually at least one broken bottle of champagne <laughs> on the bow and, and then we, we all stand on the jetty and, and wave the ship off of it as it cruises off into the into the distance yeah it's uh it is extremely satisfying and and, that, and probably one of the great things about working for Austral or, or any business that do great engineering work and create great engineering products is the satisfaction you get when you you see that final product done all your sea trials all of the construction aids and scaffolding and uh, you know, has, has all been removed and the vessel's there ready to go and meet its customers and go into operation. You know, I often reflect with some of my colleagues, the most rewarding afternoon of my career at Austal was a vessel that I'd project managed in 2010-11. It was a really challenging project and we got the vessel delivered with midnight the night before. We'd signed it over with the Danish client and, and it was due to sail to Denmark at 8.30 that, uh, the following day. And I had from about sort of two o'clock in the afternoon, I just had this wonderful experience of just walking through that um, vessel, nobody on it, and, and just taking photos and talking to the crew. And, and you know, it's, it's probably one of the most satisfying, enjoyable two hours of my career that I've ever spent. And I, and I still look back on it with real pride because we, we'd all invested so much in the success of that project. And it was, it was great just to soak it all in. Sounds amazing. Is there is there a sense of sorrow when you see the actual vessel leave finally? <laughs> it's a mixture. It's fifty percent relief, fifty yes. percent sorrow. Yeah, it's uh, often there is relief. You know, all the way along the journey, you you're actually questioning whether you're going to get there and and how you'll get there, and and so there is always a big big sense of relief when you are able to finish the project and hand it over to the customer. But yeah, there is, you know, uh, probably not as the vessel's leaving, but then you're driving to work the next day and the jetty's empty and, and there's mm. nothing alongside mm. and, and you go, <laughs> oh boy, there's a big hole there now. <laughs> the next job starts, starts straight away. Not usually much respite. <laughs> Have you been involved with any of, the, any of the yachts for the America's Cup? No, no, I haven't. We're in the process of bidding on, a, on our first uh, sailing vessel at the moment so i would be really really excited to be involved in a project a sail powered vessel some of my colleagues at the australian maritime college have been involved in america's cup campaign so i follow them vicariously and i i follow the um the america's cup you know i'm watching all the the new zealanders and the americans and the and the brits racing around the gulf at auckland at the moment testing yes. their yachts and, and getting them ready for the for the next campaign I, I'm an avid maritime sports sure. watcher. You know, I'm following the Vendée and, and the Volvo Ocean Race and all, all of those things. Well, it's in your blood, as you said at the start. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Fantastic. Richard, what does a current typical day look like for you, if there is such a thing as typical? Um, well, I, I try and make my days typical. I think that's, I think that's really key to being, being successful in roles where you've got a lot of responsibility. So... I'm very, very organised. <laughs> mm-hmm. My calendar is um, is very organised. So my typical day, usually I spend the first hour or so at least walking on the shop floor with one of my managers and uh, sort of talking through how their area of the business is going and how their leaders within the business are going and what their challenges might be and if they've got any personal challenges themselves at that moment and, and those sorts of things. So I, I like to 
try and make sure I'm not bolted to my desk being in, the, in a production management role and, and that I'm very visible out on the production floor. And by doing that, I, I'm able to establish good relationships with, you know, a lot of our production staff. Obviously, it's impossible to know 650 people intimately, but I got good relationships, I feel, with all of my, our supervisors and coordinators and, and a lot of our, you know, our long-term workers. And, I, and that's a benefit of, of spending years in, a, in the same organisation as well. So, yeah, usually the day starts with spending some time out on the shop floor. I'm pretty ruthless with making sure I'm on top of email as well. So I'll, I'll make sure I'm my, my inbox isn't controlling me too much. So I might spend some time just making sure any sort of urgent emails and purchase orders or, or these sorts of things are, are dealt with, recruitment requests and these sorts of things are all dealt with quite quickly, try and knock any admin-related stuff over. And then I'm usually, you know, I'll spend a few hours a day at least in meetings where we might be budget reviews or resource reviews or discussing the um, status of different projects. We've got an emerging risk that we need to manage. There might be a a meeting around how we're managing that. And then, you know, there might be a meeting with my my peers, the other heads of business, you know, to discuss discuss different things. And then I usually Mm -hmm. try and in the afternoon, we work a four-day week, typically here at Austell. So the, the blue-collar workforce is, is in the yard from six in the morning and then they're out at 4.30 at night. And so usually I try and get some, you know, tidy up and, and maybe a bit of strategic focus towards the end of the day. I guess we're very focused on making sure we're focusing on the right things in the different levels of the production, um, you know, so our supervisors are making sure our workers are enabled to work really efficiently and safely and, uh, and producing good quality and our coordinators are enabling our supervisors to succeed and, and you know so and they may be looking sort of a week out or, or a couple of weeks out to make sure that the path is clear and then our managers are, might, might be looking a month out to make sure the path is clear for their coordinators and materials coming in when they need it and drawings etc and then so I, I need to be looking sort of three to six months out and even longer at times so I'm very aware to make sure that I'm I'm focused on the right time frame ahead. Um, so usually I try and try and put some time aside for some strategic work, and often I do that towards mm-hmm. the end of the day when when the production workforce has gone home. Having such a fast-moving and dynamic workforce and workplace, and with so many stakeholders, without that structure, it would be very difficult. So structure is very important for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I schedule in, I'll probably have maybe 10 or 15 standard things that I do every week and I schedule them in my calendar and I make sure that I do them at the same time. And anyone who's, yes. who's doing that with me have that in their calendar. And so <laughs> you're right, there's a lot of stuff that happens dynamically that needs to be reacted to reasonably quickly. And so I need to have part of my, my working week completely under control and, and predictable. Very good. If there was something you could look back at and wish you had known when you'd started your career, what might that be? I think the thing that I often reflect on, and I talk about this with some of the people I mentor and, and others, is when you're early in your career, often you can be very ambitious and eager to sort of get along in your career as quickly as possible. And so the thing that I often reflect on is and, and talk to people who are just beginning their careers to make sure that they build their competency in a in a controlled way, you know, so they're, they're building the building blocks of their career as they're 
taking on different tasks and learning new things. And, you know, I reflect on a period probably when I was in, in the design area doing naval architecture work, structural calculations, etc. And And there was a, a point in my career where I could have spent a, a year doing finite element analysis and mm-hmm. detailed structural calculations. And, and an opportunity came to move into more of a coordination role. And I jumped at that. And I probably looked back at the time and just was a little disappointed that I hadn't actually gone and spent that year of really building that competency around structural analysis and, mm-hmm. and use of finite element modelling because a few years along the track, it then, you know, I was probably wasn't as effective in the leadership position I had at that time because I hadn't built that competency. So the advice I give to people is just, mm-hmm. just be conscious of getting the building blocks of your career right as you go along and when there comes an opportunity to move up within an organisation, just be conscious that you're, you know, you've built your competency enough to be able to, to take that step and don't be afraid to say, hey, actually, do you know what, I'm going to spend six months just mastering this competency before I, before I move on because I think that's, that's going to be key to my success as I, as I take a leadership role going forward. So these are, and these are great conversations you can have with your mm. mentors or, or, or your leaders that you're talking to about your development path. So, yeah, that's usually the advice that, that I give young, young people starting mm-hmm. off in, in our organisation. Having that foundation rock solid. Yeah, yeah. I use the analogy of building a brick wall. You know, make sure you've got all the, you're putting all the bricks in the right place, and you don't end up with a either a hole in the in the brick wall, or or you've just built one side of the brick wall, and 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 it can come tumbling down. Make sure you take time to really yes. get those building blocks in place as you go. Great tip. So clearly, with Austal, high end quality, sophisticated technology tremendous example of what Australian companies can do. What do you see as the future for engineering manufacturing here in Australia? I think there's a really bright future. I, think, I mean, the Industry 4.0 stuff is really, really exciting. Mm. You know, the use of big data and machine learning and all these sorts of things. And we're, we're dabbling in that, particularly in our sustainment space and, and the service base, the, the service that we can provide our customers. So I, I think that's, that's a really... There's, there's some really exciting stuff going, you know, in the mechatronics engineering space and, and, and mechanical space and, you know, and, and, and also in the naval architecture space, you know, the stuff that we're focusing on is how do we take all those data inputs that you can potentially get from a vessel, sea state, water depth, uh, fuel consumption, all these, you know, to make, make the passengers more comfortable, to make the vessel more efficient, mm-hmm. um, all of these things. So, I think there's the, the industry 4.0 stuff really excites me from from that point of view. You know, how do we enhance the value that the customer can get from our products? On the manufacturing side, I think that's also really exciting in terms of how we can start applying, you know, some of those industry 4.0 principles mm. to to the manufacturing process. And I think aluminium um, ship construction is still, you know, relatively. There's a small, you know, cohort of companies who can do aluminium construction ourselves, and and obviously Incap from Tasmania are, are still probably the only companies in the world building, you know, hundred meter plus, consistently building hundred meter plus vehicle passenger ferries, catamarans, trimarans. So, you know, in terms of how we hone that uh, the manufacturing process and control distortion, and um, you know, and how we apply that to the complex shapes that you have in building a ship, um, I think there's some fantastic uh, opportunity there. 
and I guess the other thing I would say about engineering in Australia, I mean, I've had the opportunity to work alongside international companies in my career in, uh, at Austal. You know, mm-hmm. we, we worked alongside the Americans when we were designing mm-hmm. LCS. We've worked alongside engineers from the UK. We've worked alongside engineers from, from Germany. And I am always amazed about how well Australian engineers stand up against, you know, and these are some of the most well-known shipbuilding companies in in the, in the world, and and how well Austral mm. engineers, and, I'm, and and this would apply to engineers, Australian engineers from other businesses as well, but how well yes. we we stand up against the best engineers in the world, and and so. From that sense, I'm continually I have optimism about what Australian engineers, in particular, can can produce and and how they can contribute to, you know, leaps of engineering technology as we go forward. Fantastic! We can really punch above our weight. Yeah, I think we can. I think we can. You know, that's what I've, I've witnessed is as we've worked, you know, alongside companies for many years and in and in design reviews and all of these other sorts of things. And yeah, I'm I'm constantly encouraged by that. Fantastic. Some great insights, Richard. Thank you very much. You've been very good with your time. I've got a last question, which is sort of sort of a summary, if you like, which is, could you offer some advice to perhaps a young person who is deciding what to do with their career and, and perhaps are interested in pursuing a career similar to yours? What advice could you give? Yeah, I think my advice on this one is is around mindset, you know, the mindset that people take in to their career. And, um, and often people begin their career with an expectation of what the business that they're going to go and work for can do for them. And my encouragement to to people pursuing their career and my advice to them is that the path you take and the opportunities that you're able to grasp are all around what you can do for the organisation that you're working in. And and if you take that mindset about how do I maximise my value in this this organisation, how do I contribute to the success of this organisation, how do I really excel at what I do and, and make this business successful? If you go in with that mindset, the thing about working in an organisation, it doesn't matter if you're in engineering or any, there's always people watching you, you know. Mm-hmm. And and if you if you have that mindset that you're going to deliver the best value you can for that business, well, those people that are watching you are going to notice that and they're going to, they're going to talk to people about what they're witnessing. They're going mm-hmm. to have conversations with your leader about that. They're going to have a conversation with other people in the business about what you're bringing and through that opportunities will arise. So I think that's really important, having that mindset that I'm just going to go in here and I'm going to try and deliver the most value that I can for this organisation and you should just be confident that people will see you doing that and that will arise to, to opportunities. And then the other thing that I would say to people is be bold. Don't have a go. You know, some of the most rewarding things that I've done in my career have often started with self-doubt, you know. Wow, okay, can I really do this, you know, or can I really move to the other side of the world and live in the US for two years in Mobile, Alabama, you know. Being bold with these sorts of things and taking a bit of a chance and backing yourself in I think is really important and and it's important that you talk to your leaders about your desire to do those sorts of things. You know, I was my opportunity in the US came because I spoke to my leader. I said, "Look, I'm I'm up for another challenge. I'd I'd be interested in opportunities in the US if they were about." And sure enough, within a few months, 
there was an opportunity and I'd had that conversation and, and therefore um, I had the opportunity. So, yeah, be bold, um, take on challenges, mm. make sure your leaders understand your willingness to take a challenge and put yourself out of your comfort zone because more often than not you're going to be able to, to succeed in that challenge and, and then you move forward. Brilliant advice. So aim high, shoot for the stars. Correct. No, I, yes. no, I should say target the big waves. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. It's been brilliant hearing your career journey. Richard, thank you so much. Austell's head of production, Richard Liley. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode of Engineering Career Journeys. Please like, subscribe and provide feedback. Australia-wide engineering recruitment can be found at australiawide.com.au or on our LinkedIn page. We look forward to presenting more interviews with interesting engineers shortly.